Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad you're with us. I'm David Brody. It's Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. And the last time I checked, I believe I know that the date that comes after January 5th is January 6th. The final countdown begins. And there's the clock and the music. The controversial electoral college vote in Congress comes up tomorrow, plus a wild rally in D.C. next to the White House. It's all coming to a head tomorrow. Oh, and uh, my bad. Did I bury the lead for today? Uh, The Georgia election today, right? Two key Senate races that will determine the balance of power in the United States Senate. The president made one last stop in Georgia last night trying to rally the GOP troops. Will it be enough to get David Perdue and Kelly Leffler, excuse me, over the finish line? We're going to talk about that uh, quite a bit on the big show today. But we're also going to be talking about the big rally coming to D.C. tomorrow. It's being billed as an event that could be the biggest ever in Washington, D.C. history. Trump Nation showing up for one last stand. One of the organizers of the big event joins us now, Kylie Kramer, with Women for America First. Uh, Kylie, great to see you again. Appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, David, for having me. Excited to join you. Well, t- tell us, what's your message to America about uh, what's going to happen tomorrow uh, in our country? Well, we are so excited about tomorrow. Um, you know, obviously, we've been on this March for Trump bus tour crisscrossing across the United States, and we are just excited that the big event is here. And, you know, the previous two rallies that we've had, President Trump has made appearances. The first one, he did a motorcade motorcade drive-by at Freedom Plaza, and then he flew over with Marine One. And this time he's going to join us on stage at the Ellipse in front of the White House in the President's Park. And we just could not be more ecstatic. Tell me a little bit about that. So you do expect to uh, actually, do you expect to see then see the president in person there tomorrow? Yes, sir. On his Twitter account, he has confirmed that he will be there at 11 a.m. So people are encouraged to RSVP at TrumpMarch.com. You do not need a physical ticket to attend. Gates or entrances will open at 7 a.m. We're encouraging people to really arrive early. And we're going to kick off the day with a lot of freedom-loving Americans. I know people are always wondering about numbers and all that, but how how big do you expect this crowd to be, Kaylee? Kaylee, Kylie, excuse me. What's What's your sense of it? No worries. And, you know, there's no real way for us to gauge how many people are going to be in attendance. Obviously, we've had a terrific turnout in our last couple of rallies that we've held here in D.C. But with big tech censorship, um, when they shut down the Stop the Steal Facebook group that I created, um, and then MailChimp shut us down and Eventbrite, there is no true way for us to communicate with all of our supporters. We're asking people to get the word out, to call their friends and family. Now is not the time to be politically correct. We just want every American who voted for Trump to start rallying in their streets if they can't get to D.C., go show up at their capitals across the country. Um, But we're expecting a decent turnout. And I guess the only true way to know is to see how many people are here in D.C. tomorrow. Well, speaking about social media, and I know they've clamped down on you guys quite a bit, which is really unfortunate, but uh, you are getting the word out. uh, And Kylie, it's the American way. That's what we do in America. We protest. How do you think this ends, though? What's what's the end game here uh, for you guys? Well, first, before we get to that, I just want to point out when President Trump did the motorcade 
drive by um, at Freedom Plaza, you could just see how excited and happy he was to see his people out there supporting him. But, you know, we're not exactly sure what the outcome of this is going to be, David. Um, we're obviously hoping for another four years of President Trump, um, and we'll just have to see what happens in Congress tomorrow. Um, you know, we have 12 senators that are going to vote no on the Electoral College, and I think it's up to 160 House members. Um, and the American people will actually be able to see the evidence firsthand without any political spin from the mainstream media. Um, and we will just see what, how that turns out and how it plays out. Kylie, we had uh, Jenna Ellis, uh, one of the president's uh, attorneys, on the show uh, with us yesterday, and she broke some news with us. She said this, there's a way for, for Mike Pence to kind of split the difference here tomorrow. I know a lot of folks want him to discard uh, these electoral votes from some of these controversial states. I don't necessarily expect that to happen. I don't think that's Mike Pence's way to do things. However, uh, Jenna Ellis suggested something that Mike Pence could do tomorrow, and I want you to have have a listen. She was on the phone with us. Have a listen to this. What uh, Mike Pence could do and uh, what he should do, in fact, is to direct a question back to the state legislatures when there are two competing slates of delegates from these six states. He can ask that question to the states and say, uh, well, state legislatures, you know, I, I have an oath to the Constitution to uphold um, the Constitution as written in Article 2, Section 1.2 says that the state legislatures direct the manner in which electoral delegates are selected. So you tell me which of these two slates was selected in the manner that your state uh, General Assembly has designated. And that's a fair question. That's not exercising discretion. That's not setting up um, any sort of bad precedent. That's actually returning the authority to the constitutionally vested uh, entity. And to simply direct that question, I think, would then uh, require a response from these very uh, timid, <laughs> to put it lightly, state legislatures that haven't been willing to act. And it would, in fact, then give a very clean outcome uh, to this election, it wouldn't be political. It would just so, be saying, you're the constitutionally vested authority. You tell me. Well, Kylie, what's your reaction to some of that? What the vice? What are you expecting the vice president to do tomorrow? Well, you know, I certainly hope that he follows their lead um, as vice president and supports the president. He's been a strong advocate in supporting the president and the America First agenda. And I have every hope that he will continue to do that. But listen, David, this is a perfect example of why people need to engage in the political process, um, not just when it matters, you know, something big like the presidency. Um, people really need to get involved at the local level and be involved um, with their state legislators, their mayors, local um, races, so that we don't have another situation like this where people are only tuning in now because it's, you know, the big primetime Super Bowl. So I really encourage people to get involved. I know we're starting to already talk about primarying some of these um, candidates uh, for the next election cycle. And I really just encourage every American to be informed, to get your information. And, you know, some people out there, they need to step up and run because some of these elected officials that we have, whether they're state legislatures, I mean, they're not doing the job of the people and their constituents. Kylie, I do want to follow up, though, on the Mike Pence thing. This is what uh, Donald Trump, the president, tweeted uh, today. And I want, to, I want to read you this to you. And he said it very simply. This is the president of the United States tweeting this, Kylie. The vice president has the power to reject fraudulently, fraudulently, <laughs> chosen, I can't say that word, chosen 
electors. And I guess my question simply to you is, where is MAGA Nation on this? Because I know MAGA Nation is big, and I know it's a, it's a big spectrum here. But you're a straight shooter, Kylie. I mean, how many people are, are do you, when I say people, how, how, what percentage of MAGA Nation really thinks Mike Pence can do this? Or are people a little bit more grounded and realistic that it's not really up to Mike Pence necessarily? Well, David, I mean, here we are in January 2021, still talking about the election that happened in November 2020. I think that a lot of people across the nation are feeling very disheartened and have lost hope. Um, And I just encourage them to remain faithful. We will get this right. You know, this is bigger than just this president um, and the vice president and these state legislatures. This is about um, the foundation of our country and how we move forward to make sure that we continue to have free and fair elections. And I really think that this is a line in the sand for the rest of the country and the direction that we move forward and what we're going to leave for generations to come. So I have every faith in um, VP Pence that he will do the right thing um, as vice president and what his power is. And we can just have to, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens um, on Wednesday. What happens after Wednesday? What's your sense? Are you guys going to continue at this uh, or or what, what happens then? Well, certainly. I mean, one of the things that we started originally is stop the steal, and we transitioned our message into the march for Trump to demand transparency and protect election integrity, because it is much bigger than just this election and just this president. Of course, we support President Trump and, you know, want to make sure that this election um, went through the correct legal process and that there was not any illegal activity that was going on. But we'll just see how the process plays out. And I do think that there is um, the direct path forward for us to make sure that we engage people to make sure that they are aware of the political process. Some of these states need to have reformed legislation that's passed um, regarding elections. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are very optimistic, especially for these senators and House members that are stepping up, um, that they're willing to fight for their constituents at home. Kylie Kramer, uh, really appreciate you being here. Thanks for uh, great answers. And uh, March, March 6th, January 6th. What month is it? I can't even remember. January 6th, be there or be square tomorrow in D.C. Thank you. And remember, TrumpMarch.com, people can get all the information of where to park, where to enter, all of that. And we look forward to seeing everyone at 7 a.m. So arrive early. All right. All right. Thanks, Kylie. And by the way, just I want to be clear on a couple of things here, Okay, of what's going to happen tomorrow. Mike Pence, this point, at least, I mean, he's the president of the Senate, vice president, president of the Senate. Uh, He's going to have a decision to make. uh, And the the decision is whether or not to not accept some of these certified uh, votes that are in front of him, electoral votes. Uh, I know MAGA Nation wants him to do that, to throw out the envelope, if you will. I don't expect that to happen. What he could do, though, is what Jenna Ellis is talking about, uh, which is indeed punt it back to the state legislatures and say, look, we have... uh, we have these votes that have been certified uh, by the governors, but at the same time, we have seven other states that have sent in dueling electors, Trump electors, and he's going to say, wait a minute, or he could say, wait a minute, we've got a, a difference of opinion here, and so state legislatures, you need to figure it out. He could do that. We're going to talk more about that a little later in the, uh, in the show with Congressman Brian Babin. We're back in a moment. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Hey, uh, you know the song that devil went down to Georgia, uh, maybe ended up in a Dominion voting machine, but that's a separate issue. Uh, Look, a big Georgia Senate race today, two of them. You know the deal. We've been talking about it ad nauseum every single day. Well, it's finally here. Let's get some more uh, expertise and insight and analysis from Jordan Seculo uh, back with us on the program with the ACLJ. Jordan, always great to see you, sir. Thanks, Dave. And, you know, I actually I was born and raised in Atlanta. My first job in politics was as a field staffer. Uh, I had uh, four counties in Georgia when uh, Ralph Reed was the chairman of the Georgia Republican Party. And that was back in 2002. That was the first time Georgia elected a Republican governor since Reconstruction. So now demographics have changed significantly in Georgia, but uh, but it gets a state I'm familiar with on the ground. Well, let's talk about the demographics there, because it does seem like the African-American turnout uh, and there's other issues as I say issues for Republicans there. There are other issues there as well. But but talk to me about what you're looking for in today's vote, because that northwest uh, section of Georgia, a conservative bastion up there, they've got to turn out as well. It's, it's all about the same day voting numbers. I mean, so the idea of I, I do believe that it is up to the Republicans and conservatives in Georgia. They will determine who wins this race. I still think there are enough votes there where if they show up, they win. But what they're up against now is not just people who have newly arrived. There's there's that group. So the demographics have changed there. But there's also a higher African-American turnout of, of voters who were people who were there and could have voted, but just weren't part of the political process for whatever reason, or weren't motivated, weren't that interested, weren't engaged by either party. They have been now, and so you've got two demographics. But I still believe, like you said, if the the voters in the conservative counties, whether it's some that are more suburban and then rural, show up, they carry the day. Now, the problem has been, right after the election, there was a lot of talk of, my vote doesn't count. I can't, you know, I'm not going to make a difference. I will tell you this. I think that at conservative as a whole, um, we could blame Georgia voters and conservatives specifically in Georgia if they don't win these two races today, because that means they stayed at home and didn't exercise their right to vote. Jordan, I, I have to ask you about the timing of all this. Are, are we going to be in for another trickle, trickle, trickle situation? In other words, we might not know before we go to bed tonight. Do, do you have a sense that when yeah, we might... I, I, Go ahead. I don't have a lot of faith in that Georgia Secretary of State uh, to begin with, but I do think, remember, unlike the presidential election where there were 50 states voting and uh, it wasn't necessarily that Georgia was on the top of the list, it was a surprise uh, that it was that close and that tight. And uh, so now all the eyes are on Georgia. So I think that means less, less, less room for any kind of hijinks, any kind of, oh, we're going to close at 10 o'clock and start counting, but not have poll watchers there. That's going to be tougher because all the attention's in Georgia. All the lawyers are in Georgia. All the focus is there. But but second, he did say, the Georgia Secretary of State, that he thinks it will be morning. Now, that's a very vague thing. I yeah. mean, 2 a.m. is a lot different than 7 a.m. I think Georgia and, and the, the voters in Georgia deserve this, so Georgians deserve it, but also the country because this, this will determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Um, yeah. They deserve to get this done. The American people deserve it and Georgians deserve it to get this done by at least the time they're up in the morning. So whether it's whether it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m. tonight, 
you know, tonight that we consider something where people, not two days and three days mm -hmm. from now, because that's when you start getting into the problems where people just stop, they're gonna stop having faith in our electoral process if they can't just count votes. Right. Hey, Jordan, I want to switch over to the Electoral College, uh, January 6th, uh, the big vote tomorrow. I say the big vote, the big electoral counting, if you will, college counting. Let me put up a, a tweet by the president uh, just today. This is what he said. The vice president has the power to reject fraud fraudulently chosen electors. Uh, Look, I mean, just between you and me on a live national television, it doesn't really do the, the vice president uh, many favors there uh, to, to say that. But there is a school of thought that he does. But, uh, but boy, I tell you what, I thought he would give uh, the vice president a little cover, but th that, that seems exactly the opposite. What's, you're, you're one of the lawyers for the president, so I don't know. What's your take on all that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been this like constitutional law school and law professor debate. It goes back on liberals, too, Lawrence Tribe. You know, famous liberal who was kind of wrote into this that there's more power as the Senate president, which is what the vice president's role is when they come in and uh, as part of their role as vice president. So there's more power constitutionally than even maybe there is statutorily. But I think it goes only so far. I think you still have to make a stretch argument that even if the uh, vice, even if the House and the Senate uh, object, but then there's not enough votes. Uh, so the objection to then go back to the states to recertify in 10 days, that that doesn't happen. Can the president uh, of the Senate say, you know what, even though you didn't vote U.S. Senate and U.S. House to do this, there enough of you had this problem. Why should I, do I have the power to send this back to the states, so I'm not taking away their votes or anybody's mm -hmm. vote, to recertify this in 10 days? I think that's a different constitutional uh, question than the vice president just basically deciding who the president well, is because there's no precedent for that. And if that becomes, that's scary for either side. I mean, that I don't like that for Republicans or Democrats. So I think that that's really where the discussion is, the recertification. Right. So he, he may end up, I mean, we don't know what the vice president is going to do tomorrow, but, but that seems no. to be an option, at least. Jenna Ellis was on this program yesterday floating that out there, saying what the vice president could do is exactly what you said. Uh, basically punt it back to the state legislatures and say, look, We've got some issues here. Go figure it out yourselves, which is what should have happened in the first place. Yeah, and I think that, again, that's not taking any votes away. That's not disenfranchising anyone. Uh, it's going back to the states, which is how the Constitution is set it up to, for them to run the elections. Hey, these issues have been raised. I think you need to look at them, but you got 10 days to do it. And honestly, I mean, listen, we're talking about probably six states here. So, yes, it could change the outcome, but uh, you'd need you know, most of those to, to change it. and. Already, most of the leaders of those state legislatures had the power to do that. So while it's putting pressure again to focus in on the problems that we saw in this last election, whether people think it's fraud, whether people yeah. thought it was just illegal because of the way the rules were changed for the game by courts instead of the state legislatures, it puts the pressure back. That It's a very different than yeah. people thinking tomorrow that Vice President Pence, I just don't want people to think that, can somehow say, no, Donald Trump won. And that's it. Right. That, that is not that is not what we're debating here. That's not even the debate about that. Yeah. Jordan Seculo, thanks for clearing that up. Really appreciate your time. Always great to have you on the show, sir. Thanks, David. And if you're a Georgia voter, get out there today. All right. Jordan Seculo with that one last Georgia plea down there in the uh, the peach state. That's right. It's the peach state, if I'm not mistaken. It is the peach. I know it's the peach state. Uh, all right. Well, look, that was Jordan Seculo saying exactly what Jenna Ellis said about state legislatures, that the vice president could punt this to state legislatures. We'll see what he does. 
Uh, we're back in a moment with more talk about Georgia. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, there's going to be uh, dozens and dozens of congressmen that object on January 6th to the uh, counting of the Electoral College votes in certain states. We know that there are going to be at least 11, possibly more senators. Uh, actually, I think it's 12 now and counting uh, on the Senate side. We, we did get word today that Senator Tim Scott uh, will not object. Uh, he will vote to certify uh, Joe Biden, what he's calling Joe Biden's victory in, in the uh, presidential election. So there's a bit of news for you there. Uh, I want to bring in Congressman Brian Babin from Texas uh, back on the show. Uh, Congressman, uh, thanks for being here. We really appreciate you. Always good to be with you, David. Well, Congressman, you're going to be one of those, my understanding, is objecting tomorrow. Take us through exactly what your, what your philosophy is on this and, and what's going to transpire tomorrow. Absolutely. It's, uh, this is something that I feel compelled to do. I was one of the earliest objectors uh, in the House of Representatives. And uh, <clears throat> I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to be on the right side of history here. And I believe that those who are not objecting, uh, I think they're on the wrong side of history. I understand the constitutional arguments and all this, but uh, constitutionally, this is something we're mandated to do, and that is to certify these electoral votes. And in order to certify them, you need to have certainty that they're legal. And so I feel very comfortable constitutionally uh, in objecting to this vote with all of the anomalies and irregularities that we've seen, David. Yeah. So, so you believe that it's your constitutional duty and an oath that you've, you've, you've taken an oath to uphold the Constitution? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely do. So let me ask you, uh, the president is tweeting. To, here he goes. He's tweeting. The president's always tweeting. But, but here's an interesting one where he talks about the vice president. Um, and, and here's what he said. The vice president has the power to reject uh, fraudulently chosen electors. Uh, between you and me on live national television, I mean, that, that puts the vice president in kind of a tough spot. I mean, uh, what, what do you expect from him tomorrow? I mean, he's not, he's not someone that typically is going to, you know, be a flamethrower here. You know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the vice president uh, in this regard, uh, because I really don't know exactly how. I'm not a lawyer. Right. Uh, I'm a, I practiced dentistry for 37 years, but we have a way of getting to the root of problems. Uh, <laughs> and I've heard debate about constitutional this and lawyer this. And I really can't tell you exactly how much authority and power the vice president is going to have here. Uh, it does put him in a, in a tough position. And uh, I greatly sympathize with him. But I will tell you this. This country has never been this divided up, probably since the 1850s. And uh, I, I really feel like that there's uh, probably 70, well, there were nearly 75 million Americans that voted for President Trump. And with all the anomalies and the irregularities and the outright fraud that we've seen on all levels of this, of this election, and not just in the six battleground states, we had some evidence of fraud going on even in Harris County, Texas, and I represent part of Harris mm -hmm. County. So we know, and of course we know that there's, there's election fraud that goes on in every election, uh, but nothing on the scale that we're seeing. Uh, this is going to be probably 100 plus uh, 
of us in the House of Representatives, as you said, uh, 12, 13 uh, senators. Uh, but I think that the House and GOP, the House and Senate GOP, uh, need to join together in this fight. We know there was fraud. I'm a great Trump supporter. I always have been. But quite frankly, this is not about President Trump. This is about honest elections and having confidence, uh, the American people having the confidence in their electoral process so that we will continue to have a working, free and open society, a democratic republic, uh, and have the, the peaceful transfer of power between mm-hmm. administrations. And uh, if, yeah. if there's hope, if, and in fact, this is the problem in Georgia today. We're praying and hoping uh, that people will get off their duff, even though they're disgusted with what they saw in the presidential election on, on November the 3rd, get out and vote for these two Republican senators. Your very freedom and liberty uh, and being able to live in this great country to continue and join these, these liberties uh, are dependent upon you and getting these two senators elected. Get out there and vote. Mm-hmm. I, I need to have that. You bet. Hey, Congressman Babbitt, I, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds or so uh, to, to think about this because I want to play a clip. But I was gonna, I'm going to ask you what your message to the vice president is and, and what you would suggest that he, he do tomorrow. But before I ask you that, I want to play with the president, <laughs> what the president said down in Georgia last night. Here, here he is. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president... Our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. No, Mike is a great guy. <laughs> typical, typical Donald Trump. Uh, what, is your, what is your message to Vice President Pence for tomorrow? Uh, my message is uh, I know he's a devout Christian man. He needs to do the, the, the right thing. If there's accountability to be had, uh, for people who've been, uh, uh, you know, violating the laws and uh, and doing the things that we think they were doing in this election, then I hope that Mr. Pence will will hold them accountable. I, again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not a constitutional yeah. lawyer. I'm a dentist. Uh, but I think that we absolutely uh, have to have some accountability here, which we haven't seen for four solid years with the persecution and the attacks on the on the Trump pre- presidency, and that includes uh, Vice President Pence, being accused of everything under the sun. They've thrown everything but the kitchen sink, including the kitchen sink, I should say, at them. And uh, they're sweeping under the rug all of the wrongdoing that we've saw uh, seen at the uh, DOJ, the FBI, uh, the fake Russian report, uh, you yeah. know, the the uh, the uh, going and trying to remove the president uh, in impeachment. And not not being able to see finally what what uh, what the Durham report's going to be. I, I don't know if anything's going to ever come of that. Mm-hmm. And I want to see that. And I want to see who's responsible mm-hmm. uh, for for sweeping this uh, these election uh, irregularities under the rug and not not wanting to to investigate it. My my statement would be: What do you have to lose by having an investigation? We should right. have started this weeks ago. I know this is late, uh, but the American people deserve to see the truth and to. Uh, have and, and and know that we we can we can have confidence in in our electoral right. process. Congressman Brian Babin, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for being such a straight shooter uh, and being honest, not only with your constituents but but here uh, on the show. I really appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. All right, Con- Congressman Brian, I think we may have cut him off, but uh, don't worry, he'll be back again. I'm sure he will. We got to have him back. Anyhow, we will. 
Uh, all right, uh, when we come back, we've got a lot more on the show. We're going to talk Georgia, and I've got a few things to say about the media coverage of all of this. We're back in a moment. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, Georgia is on my mind. It's on Ray Charles' mind. Hey, look it up. If you're under 30, look it up. Ray Charles, Georgia on my mind. You'll see it in Google. I guarantee you. Anyhow, a big race today. Two of them, January 5th. We've been talking about these. Uh, let's get right down to uh, Georgia, uh, where Heather Mullins is there with uh, Real America's Voice correspondent, who has just been, uh, how do I say, groundbreaking coverage down there. Hey, Heather, great to see you. Great to see you, David. It's always a pleasure being on your show, favorites. Yeah, hey, look, uh, you're in DeKalb County. Uh, you've been all over uh, the state, really, uh, covering all of this. Uh, give us uh, the latest of what you're hearing on the ground as it relates to today's election and any other uh, voter irregularity, illegality news, if you will. Yeah, so it, it started off normal morning. at a poll or a polling a, a sign waving with Senator Kelly Leffler this morning to talk with her. She's very hopeful that, you know, voters are going to turn out in her favor today. But then as the the day progresses, I have all these people feeding me information all across Georgia. Uh, and a woman I actually just spoke with right before I did this hit, uh, she was calling from Spalding County. Now, she said Spalding County, if you remember back for the general election, was one of the counties that was known for finding ballots in the dumpster, as well as their Dominion machines went down for several hours during the election. Well, that same thing happened this morning when she showed up about 7.20 in the morning uh, to go and vote. She, somebody had come out. They told them that the Dominion machines were not working. They were trying to figure out what the problem was. And a couple people have to go. She actually said that they didn't have the emergency ballots for them to, to fill out. Nobody was offered anything as an alternative to voting. She actually saw real Sterling tweet, Columbia County is now having issues. He called it a programming issue on his Twitter feed uh, and said that they're using emergency ballots. <laughs> and so, pause for a moment. We, we hear you. They, they had the emergency ballot. Yeah, so they had the emergency ballots in Columbia County, but not Spalding County. So already reports of people able to vote. Pretty crazy. Well, and Heather, this is interesting new information from you down there in Georgia. And this is exactly what the president has been talking about. And he was at that rally uh, the other night in Georgia, last night actually in Georgia. And he's complaining about uh, the elections down there in Georgia. And, and so you just wonder about turnout. I mean, it just seems to me like it's all about turnout, especially in northwest Georgia. They need the conservatives up there in that stronghold. What's your sense about turnout? Any way to gauge that? So. For actually seen i have a couple different polling locations. i haven't seen a whole lot i don't know if it's because it's earlier in the day maybe people are working and it's toward the evening or if a lot of early uh has already i know at the trump rally when i had spoken to a few people they said they'd already voted so even conservatives are doing the early voting and that sort of thing um but you know we're already seeing issues here in georgia and this is something the president warmed about and it, senator 
or when I spoke to her this morning, said that there's fraud, there's all these election problems, and that when she, you know, hopefully you see as our senator is going to address that address these issues because there isn't process here in Georgia. In fact, in DeKalb County, when I the first location I went to was their voter registration office, which was a voting location for the general election. Well, there's a line of people there showing up to vote off races. Apparently, they're not doing voting there this time. So all of them were trying to figure out where do I so a lot of confusion, very disorganized. It's starting to kind of appear just election. Wow. Uh, any sense as to uh, where, if there was going to be a Democrat uh, to pull off an upset, any sense of who that might be? In other words, who's in more trouble? Is it Purdue or Leffler? I know both races are tight, but is there more concern in the Purdue camp or in the Leffler camp? You know, it's interesting because someone said to me the other day they heard doing better than Purdue, but I mean, Purdue, you know, in the, in the first election got 49.75%. So that's just, you know, 0.25 shy of what he needed to actually, and was trailing much farther behind. So it'll be interesting to see, put my money on, but uh, the rally yesterday, Kelly Leffler was, and so you had a lot of people in the crowd actually chanting her name uh, in support of her when she said that when she goes see, she's not going to um, sort of that she believes that, you know, there was just way too much going on and she couldn't in good faith do that. So a lot of positive feedback from her on that. I, I want to read you a little bit uh, from uh, Nicholas Ballacy over Just the News, who put up uh, this article today on justthenews.com uh, as it relates to Georgia and the mobilization. It talks about a Democratic voter mobilization for Georgia runoff lags behind the November election. And he goes through all of this. He says, according to uh, Georgia Votes, which is a website that compiles official Georgia state voting statistics, roughly, he's saying three million or so Georgians have voted to date in the runoff election compared to almost 4 million, 33.9 million in the general election. Then he says, uh, in the article, it says, the total number of ballots cast at this point is higher than the 2008 runoff election turnout in Georgia, but it lags behind the 2020 general election. So it does make you wonder if Democrats are going to be able to uh, get over the finish line with turnout, because they're going to need African-American turnout big time down there. Well, it also makes you wonder, are we going to see uh, at State Farm Arena another spike at two o'clock in the morning? I mean, this is something that is still being investigated here in Georgia. In fact, Voter GA, um, an organization run by Garland Favorito, had a lawsuit. They filed emergency lawsuit last week that would grant them access to the to do a forensic audit on these ballots from State Farm Arena. Well, that was put on for. A, a remote hearing yesterday at 11 a.m. Uh, in Fulton County, and an hour before it was set to go before this judge, it was canceled, and they believe a chief judge in that area is now trying to put it on to another circuit, claiming this is an election lawsuit, so it needs to go into a different circuit. But if they'd have known that, they they took this lawsuit and stamped it and put it in a specific judge. And so there's a lot of people now saying that this was to a stall tactic. So basically, it was um, permission Monday to go in and do this forensic audit on those State Farm Arena ballots. Mm -hmm. But because they canceled it last minute and put it off, now it's basically going to get put on after the election. Wow. Heather Mullins with some great reporting down there. Heather, thanks for being on the show and uh, stay mm -hmm. safe down there in Georgia. 
Absolutely. All right, Heather Mullins. Uh, by the way, uh, just so we let's just reset for a second. The Senate right now is at 50-48. 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats. Two outstanding Senate races down in Georgia. We talked about it. Purdue and Leffler. Those are the two Republicans. They're up against Warnock and Ossoff. Bottom line is this, if Democrats win both, it becomes 50-50 in the Senate and providing that Kamala Harris is the new vice president, she breaks the tie. In other words, the Senate is in Democrat hands. However, if Republicans get the split, that's all they need. They just need a split. If they get the split down there in Georgia, they'll be up 51-49. So that's the only way that whole thing works out. We're back in a moment. And welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. A time for the last sip. Look, the media has been horrible as it relates to election fraud coverage. They've been totally AWOL. A couple of weeks ago, I sent an email out to a national uh, media anchor, national uh, anchor who's a household name, and we'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to reveal the name, uh, but everybody in America knows him. And this is what I wrote to him, and I want you to see it. Uh, why are major media outlets refusing, by and large, uh, to cover the countless instances, allegations of why? widespread voter fraud in this election. To be clear, I'm not asking for you to give a defense of why you may or may not think these allegations have no merit. I'm fully aware that top election officials, many of them Republican, have concluded that there is no merit to widespread voter fraud. I'm not asking about that. What I am far more concerned about is the great suppression that we are seeing today among the national media. There are legitimate instances of affidavits, whistleblowers, court cases, state legislature meetings, machine malfunctions, USB sticks missing, Georgia secret suitcases of ballots, etc. However, there has been zero independent investigative reporting on any of this. The lack of curiosity here has been sad to observe. Our roles as journalists must be an attempt to seek the truth, no matter where it leads. Sadly, what I have seen instead is coverage that labels all of these voter fraud allegations as debunked conspiracy theories, when in fact, much of the evidence presented has merit, at least enough merit to be fully investigated by a national media outlet. And to be clear, an investigation doesn't mean taking the word of election officials who say it's not true. The national media loves to do big picture or, excuse me, big investigative pieces, spending weeks and weeks looking into major stories. So why not here? It's been a black hole that has been that has given a black eye to the media. And here is the response by the national anchor, a household name, not going to put the name up. Not to litigate this point by point, but in short, what are you talking about? There hasn't been a single instance of proven fraud anywhere. Allegations have been beyond thin, the cry of losers of every cycle. The conspiracies have been debunked in seconds. There is no there there. When you see one actual piece of evidence of widespread fraud, then the Pulitzer is yours. This is an intentional attempt to undermine the election result. This election was not even the fourth closest this century. This is nuts, David. Nuts. And I can just tell you this, it went on from there. But the bottom line is this, clearly you get a peek into the media and how they see this. We knew this from the beginning, it's not, a, it's not any sort of revelation there. But I wanted to let you know that I felt it was my duty uh, as a journalist and someone who wants to seek the truth every day to hold these folks accountable. And that's exactly what I, at least I'm trying to do. Back in a moment. 
And welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, end of the show. So Sophie Mann is back with us. Uh, Sophie, good to see you again. Good to see you. I mean, and I mean that authentically, by the way. Oh, well, I'd be disappointed if you didn't. <laughs> That's right. All right. So, uh, listen, a serious subject. Josh Hawley. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, th- there's been some, well, why don't you tell us about it? Because there's been some problems that he's yeah. encountered since he made that big announcement. You're right. Well, so last week we know that Josh Hawley announced, he became mm-hmm. the first senator announced that he would be contesting the electoral college vote tomorrow. Um, you know, the, the congressman who had been leading this charge were unsure if they would get a second from the Senate, which they need in order for the for the contestation to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so Josh Hawley kind of led that force. Um, a number of senators have now joined him, but he's drawn a significant amount of ire uh, for this decision. Um, so people have been, you know, really going after him all week, saying mm-hmm. that what he's doing is unconstitutional. You know, I mean, th- this is what happens in politics. Right. But what happened to him specifically last night was uh, Senator Hawley was home in his home state of Missouri. Um, but his wife and young children, uh, one of them a newborn, were at their D.C. area residence um, where, you know, they stay while he's sure. in the Senate. And a bunch of um, protesters from an organization called Shut Down DC that has sort of been um, building up its forces since this summer, really, since uh, prior to the Republican National Convention Mm -hmm. and then the election, um, went to his home to to conduct what they called a candlelit vigil. Um, but what he called an Antifa riot. Mm. So it's unclear exactly who's correct. It, it, they aren't, they, it doesn't seem to be 100% clear that they were Antifa, but certainly it wasn't a candlelit vigil. What happened was that they showed up with megaphones, um, screaming you know, slogans and political sloganeering at his house where his wife and children were, where you know, it's a lovely family neighborhood. There were a bunch of neighbors around, right. banging on the doors. Four of them went up to hit the steps of his home and started pounding on the door. Um, and Josh Hawley took to Twitter to say, we won't be intimidated by this. You know, don't do this to my family. Like, I'm protective of them, and this is not civil behavior, but we won't be intimidated by this. And then you saw a lot of mainstream journalists, the Washington Post and, you know, a cohort of others saying it was just a vigil, which seems patently absurd given that there was video evidence of, you know, what was going on, which was at very least harassment and at worst probably some amount of uh, vandalizing. So here's the thing. When you have megaphones and you're banging at someone's Mm -hmm. door, so this just in, that's not a vigil. I yeah, mean, I candlelight vigil, are, are we not to have, have a little peace in a candle, candlelight mm-hmm. vigil? Or no. Some, no, apparently no. not. So, I mean, we'll see what uh, Shutdown DC ends up doing tomorrow, but, um, yeah. you know, Holly was, and his family were the victims of this last night. Yeah, and unfortunately, I have a feeling this type of stuff may indeed continue as January 6th progresses yeah. into uh, the next few weeks after that. So, yeah. we'll see. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Sophie. All right, tomorrow on the show, it's a big show, January 6th. You know the deal, right? Laura Trump hopefully will join us. Rick Green as well. See you tomorrow.